So I was actually going to start in a little different direction, but I, I want to just tell a story first. All my life as I was growing, I worked hard. I liked to work. I liked doing jobs. I liked to have a task. I liked to see it fulfilled. And so when I got into business, I spent long hours, often seven days a week, working and felt really good about it. But I did reach a period when I could sense, and this was after moving to Fresno and setting up, starting a large retail and wholesale nursery, that there was something going on in me that wasn't there. And I wasn't sure what it was because I thought everything was really good because of all the hard work and the tasks and the completing tasks and seeing fruition. And on a Saturday morning, as I was sitting in our office, I just began crying. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you crying? What is going on inside of you? And I didn't know. Now, I'd been raised in the church at, a, at an earlier age. And then after Betty, my wife, and I married, we both just stopped going to church felt it was not relevant, and that Christ was, you know, up there. Last week we found out he's not, right? Everybody found out last week he's not up there, he's right here. But at the time I always figured he was up there. And the following week, and Betty had been asking me, why didn't you come to church with me? It's a small, it's really fun, and, and I went. Uh, kind of protesting a little bit. And the pastor was talking and teaching out of Revelations, and it was all about all these different colored horses flying through the sky and all this stuff going on. And I'm wondering, what in the world am I doing here? I had no idea what any of this was about. And at the very end, he said, so if you're finding your life kind of empty and you're not sure what it's about and where you're headed, and it just seems futile in a way, let me suggest that if you would ask Jesus Christ into your life, that things would begin to change. And all of a sudden, I felt this welling up inside of me just begin to just almost burst out. And I just said this little prayer. And at that point, everything that I thought that was really important, I began to realize didn't really matter. It mattered, but it was totally secondary or thirdary. I had a beautiful wife and children, and I began to see that they were more important by far. And this Jesus was very important, and it was a life-changing event. And so over a period of time, by the way, um, I didn't know much, but what I did know was what he'd done to me. So anybody that worked for me had to find out and had to know what he did to me. And so I would tell them, this is what happened to me, and you need to know this. And uh, over a period of time, every employee that I ever had, except one, asked Christ into their life at some point, at some place. 
at some moment when the Spirit of God intervened and walked into their life and made himself evident to them just as he had made himself evident to me. And so when we look at the little story today that we're going to look at, what I'm wanting to really focus on is what it means to be a neighbor. How Jesus was a neighbor to people. How he's a neighbor to us. But it all starts with the thing that is most important that we looked at last week. And that's in Matthew 22, 37. And I'll just say, the, the lawyer, he's a Pharisee, he's a lawyer, and he wants to know what is the greatest commandment of the law. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, your soul, your heart. And the second most important commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see in this story of Jesus coming into Samaria that love is action. Love isn't just a word that somehow uh, leaks off of us or somebody kind of catches somehow. It's, it is in the fact that love is action and then they catch it. It's not that I know it in here or know it up here. It's what happens with it that makes the difference. People all around us know of God. doesn't mean they know God. They know of Christ. doesn't mean they know Christ. And yet... Um, people are really searching and hunting. And was there anybody here that didn't, at some point, search and hunt and find Christ? Hello? Anybody here? Yeah, everybody does this at some place, at some point, hopefully. So we want to look at how Jesus looks at the Samaritan woman and the little story that goes along with it. And so I just I want to read this. Jesus illustrates in the story of how to love your neighbor. To Jesus, this Samaritan was his neighbor. Now, I could say, well, in a sense, yeah, um, geographically, that's true, too. Because at the moment, uh, Judah and Jerusalem are all in the southern half, Samaria is in the middle, Galilee and all that's going on is north. And so Samaria is a neighbor of these two places. But more specifically, he's talking about a woman, and he's going to be looking at a woman who becomes his neighbor. So to Jesus, the Samaritan was his neighbor, someone to be cared about. Jesus is teaching the principle that there are opportunities in places all around us to engage one-on-one -on -one in neighborliness and that we can't be put off by fear and timidity or what would look like an overwhelming task to love our neighbors ourselves. Everyone here probably has a neighbor. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want to illustrate this thing about the importance on one-to-one. -one. Uh, and I'm going to use a little story that... Um, and you may have heard it's about a starfish. 
there were a large number of starfish that had been beached in a storm at high tide. And an old man was standing on the beach and was just shocked by the immense need and stood paralyzed at the beach when he noticed a little boy grabbing starfish and throwing him back into the ocean. Seeing the old man, the boy rushed over and pleaded, Mister, you have to help me get them back before they die or before they perish. As he grabbed yet another starfish and threw it back out into the ocean. And the, the old man said, Do you see how many there are lying up there on the beach? What difference can we make? And the little boy held up one starfish, and he says, well, it makes a difference to this one, and threw it back in the water as he reached down for another one. And so when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about neighbors, people that they don't know they're perishing. They don't know they've been stranded up on a beach. Life is going on just like it was for me. I was busy with the nursery. Everything was great, I thought. But I didn't know who this Jesus was. And so in chapter 4, if you want to put those scriptures up there, um, we see in the verses 7 through 15, and we'll kind of just go through those. However, in John 4, 4, this is very interesting. It says now about Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. I find that very interesting. He had to go. Now, for the Jews, they wouldn't do that. The Jews felt or saw the Samaritans as being unclean. You didn't share anything with them. You didn't touch them. You didn't, they didn't give you their cup to drink out of because they were unclean. And so the Jews would travel. If they were going from either direction, they would go around Samaria. They would go over by the Jordan River and come down or go up. But they wouldn't enter normally into Samaria for fear of, being coming unclean through touch or being with them. So we see what Jesus is, what's going on with Jesus when it says he had to go. Kind of reminds you, doesn't it? When Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, he had to go. Here it says he had to go through Samaria. Now you could say, well, you know, the distance was shorter. I mean, if you go in a straight line, it's, it's shorter. But the thing about Jesus was he did not despise the Samaritans. He didn't see them as being unclean. He actually loved them. He loved the Samaritans. The Jews saw them as being unclean. Jesus was a whole different thing. He saw all people as having a need, being lost, perishing. And so to him, he could care less about all the little rules and all the little things that went on as regards to the Samaritans and going through that town or going through that land. So when we're thinking about this, Jesus going into Samaria, let me ask you this. In thinking about the Jews despising and seeing the Samaritans as being unclean, when we see our neighbors, what are the thoughts that go on in our mind about them? Do we feel like, I just want to rush out, I want to meet them, I want to know them, I want to be with them. Um, or sometimes do we go out the door and they're standing right there 
and we kind of want to avoid them. We don't want to go over and greet them. We don't want to uh, engage. And that's the difference, you see, is when we engage, something begins to happen. And so the story is about Jesus engaging with somebody that nobody else wanted to engage with. And the other problem is, she's a woman. Now, I adore all the women here. But for a Jew to sit and drink or eat or talk with a Samaritan woman was you don't do that. So Jesus is breaking all the laws. He's breaking all the stuff. Why? There's only one reason. Because he sees the value in this woman. He sees somebody that really he loves. When it says... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I didn't say you should love your group as yourself, but your neighbor as yourself. So it's a one-on-one. -on -one. So as Jesus is coming into Sychar, he's tired, he's hot, he's hungry, he's got the disciples with him. And I'm wondering to myself, what are the disciples thinking? They don't know what Jesus is thinking. Jesus has done the wrong thing, right? Because they're good Jews. Those disciples are good Jews. They're just learning about being a Jesus follower and really understanding anything about it. So for them, even though Jesus tells them, go into town, get some groceries, come back, and we're going to eat together. They're thinking, boy, I don't want to touch any of these people. I don't want to handle any of their stuff. And Jesus is sitting, he sends them, and they must have thought, why, why are you doing this? Why didn't we pack a lunch so we could get all the way through before we had to encounter them? And so Jesus begins a conversation. He sits down at the well. The woman comes. And um, this would have been at noon, not, not the normal time for a woman to go and get the water. It's hot. And he says to her, will you give me a drink? And I like that because she then turns around and says, well, how is it that you, a Jew, can ask me for a drink of water? And that makes sense, right? How could, she, how could he ask her? So there's a problem for her. And Jesus wants to build a dialogue or bridge of dialogue with her. He wants to begin to, to build something between them. Now notice about Jesus. Number one, he's not afraid of this woman. Jesus is a listener. He's all about her. And he stops his journey and waits for the, the guys to show up. And in the interim, she begins to ask questions. He begins to answer questions. And uh, Jesus says this, he says, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus makes this statement and it's open-ended. Now she's not expecting that, right? Because her thoughts are on just regular natural water. And he begins into this dialogue 
about living water. Now, if I'd been her at that point, I might have stopped and said to myself, wait a minute, he's asking me for water. He's just got finished saying he's got living water, and if he's so thirsty, why doesn't he drink his own water? Why is he asking me for my water? He's got better water. Not only that, he, I can't see any of it. Where's he going to get it? So, you know, Jesus, as well as ourselves, when we're meeting people and talking with people, it, it's in the dialogue, looking for what's going on? What's happening in their lives? What's taking place? Is there something that I'm missing? Now, this may, Jesus does all this in, in a matter of, you know, not much time. But for us, it may take a lot of time. It may take days or weeks or months. Every, every um, morning, Betty and I go out for a walk. And we generally walk anywhere from a quarter to two, two and a half miles. It's very seldom that we don't encounter people walking. Did you know Morro Bay probably has more dogs than people? And you've got to walk your dog. And so when they're out walking their dog, we get, we get to not have our own dog. We get to enjoy their dog. And it's very nice because they like us to like their dog. But it opens, it opens conversation. But then we find that quite often we're seeing the same people every day. And a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, we're finding out about them, and they're finding out about us. So there's something that's transpiring that's going on every time we go out. So the lady continues. She says, sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again. However, those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. Sir, give me... That, this water, so I won't get thirsty and have to come back and draw water. Do you notice how he keeps talking with her? She's talking with him. He says a statement. She wants to know what that means. He, asks, he says a statement that causes her to ask a question, which allows him to again enter back in and talk to him, her even more. And that's what neighboring is about. They may be your very neighbors across the street or somebody you encounter where... Well, at the store, who knows where? What about, do any of you have children that play soccer? Any grandparents that go to soccer games? Are there any other parents there? All rooting for their child because, have you ever noticed their child is the special one? So there's all kinds of ways to enter in and meet people, you know what the biggest problem often that we encounter? Fear, timidity. What do I say? What if they don't want to talk to me? What does it matter? It doesn't matter. <clears throat> um, yesterday, so Betty and I have made the rounds and, and uh, we've run into four or five different people and we stop and talk and and so forth, and we're coming around the hill and coming down the hill, and here's, here's a guy coming down and we're going up, and he's large. He's a big guy, 
he's got this little bitty dog. And I thought, I wonder, I wonder if there's anything in that, but I, mean, I didn't think that much about it. But um, when he gets, as he's coming down, we're thinking, you know, I think that's that new guy, Cliff, that we just met. And um, as it gets closer, it's not Cliff. And so as we get just kind of opposite, I said, hey, hi, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Nice dog. And he kind of smiles. And, and I said, uh, hey, I'm Mike. What's your name? And he told me it's Bill. Did I say Bill a minute ago? No, what did I say, Cliff? Well, it wasn't Cliff, it was Bill. So it was Bill. And we just stood and talked for just a minute. And he said, um, well, you know, I just live around the corner on the other side of the hill. And so we had this very short, brief little conversation. But you know what? I'm going to be looking for Bill. Because Bill, I don't know whether he knows who Jesus Christ is or anything about him or whether it even matters to him at this point in his life. matters to Jesus. It matters to me because I value so much what Jesus did for me that anybody that hasn't found him, it's the best thing that ever happened in my life. And I want them to know it too. So I don't care if I look stupid or if I am put on the spot or whatever. If I can meet somebody and just visit with them, I'm going to do that. So after she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come back to draw water. He does this really unusual thing. He says this very unexpected statement. Jesus said, go call your husband and come back. Now, what's that got to do with the water? It's got a lot to do with the water. Her natural water, she knows about. The supernatural water, the living water, she knows nothing about, but she really wants to know. But she's honest. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now, can you imagine, this woman and Jesus are strangers. But the Spirit of God is at work. See, sometimes we don't realize in just talking, communicating, visiting, the Spirit of God is at work because He loves the person we're talking to, just like Jesus loved the Samaritan woman. And so, she's being honest about it. He likes her. There's this connection that's going on. Jesus is totally interested just about her. This is his neighbor at the moment. You see what I'm saying? The person you're with is your neighbor. Wherever you happen to be, although you may have neighbors right where you live, 
Nevertheless, if you consider every time you go to the store or place you go, this is my neighbor. This is somebody do I know whether they know. So <clears throat> here's what happened. Jesus is so interested about her, Jesus wanted this woman to see her sin and her need for forgiveness. And then he was offering to her the living water. But there had to be some recognition, some place of why there was a need. What's also very interesting is Jesus um, had not condemned her, right? He hadn't condemned her. He was being a friend, but encouraged her to reveal her search for life in such a way that it, he helped her draw it out and find that something was truly missing in who she is. Not only that, notice that they just met, and she already feels safe with Jesus. She's talking about things that are kind of deep down, right? And revealing them because she feels safe. And so when we're with people, for them to feel safe is, is the thing that often matters most. I found that, personally, people begin to reveal a lot about themselves as we've gotten to know each other, and they felt safe. And they'll allow you into deeper places of their life because they feel safe with you. Jesus goes on to explain, you know, or, or, or really, at this point, she says this. I can see you're a prophet. I love that. I can see you're a prophet. Well, you just read my mail a few minutes ago. You knew that, yes, I'm not even married, and I'm living with this guy, and I've had five other husbands. Well, she's even more interested now in engaging with Jesus and begins with more statements and questions as relates to worshiping God. And Jesus says this true worship, about true worshipers. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And he's talking about the human spirit. The person having drunk living water in their spirit they will worship the Lord in truth. They will, um, in genuineness, it's not just to know the name of God, it's not just to know that Jesus was a good person or anything else, but there's, they'll worship God in a true way, a real genuineness, because that spring of living water, the water that they drink becomes real in them and begins to work in them. With that, all of a sudden, what is she doing? I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will, will proclaim all things to us. So they've had these conversations. They've had this talk. They've worked around different kinds of issues. They've brought it, he's brought it to a place where he can say, I who speak to you am he. He didn't say much else other than she jumps up and by the way did he ever get his drink of water no water she's probably still figuring that he's got the living water himself right 
which he does. But she runs and gets her neighbors, tells them what's happened to her. She, they come back. He tells them and speaks with them. And it says he stays two days. So, who are my neighbors? I think that's the question that we all get to ask ourselves. Who are my neighbors? And maybe here's some questions, you know, to even ask, which I ask of myself. Like on my block, how many, how many of the people who live in my block, where I live, how many of their first names do I know? Of the first names that I know, do I know their last names? If I know their first and last names, or even just their first names, what do I know about their life? Do they have hobbies? Do they, um, where did they grow up? Are they interested in sports? Are their kids involved in sports? Um, what's going on in their life? Are there little acts, random acts of kindness that we could do that put us into a place of being with them or near them. I just want to read one last little story, and this I pulled out of the uh, Wall Street Journal, and it's called Muslim Migrants Meet Christian, Christian Gypsies. I'm not going to read the whole article, but just this one little part of it. Uh, Miss Nikolic remembers living on the streets of Serbia with her husband and their young children in the late 1990s, not long after the war ended. They begged and struggled to survive, she says. Her two small children were filthy, she remembers, and she feared they'd get sick, so she bathed them with bottled water she had warmed in the sun. So we understood. Miss Nicklick also knows the power of Christian charity in winning converts. When she and Mr. Nicolet moved back to Croatia, still penniless, a Christian couple fed them, invited them to church, and helped them find shelter. We said, why are you helping us, Miss Nicolet recalls, we're only gypsies. No one loves gypsies. Their answer, because Christ came to serve, and Christians must follow his example. And that won over Miss Nicholas and eventually her husband too. The couple went on to found Croatia's first gypsy church where they today serve together as co-pastors. So who we are matters. Who our neighbors are matters. Because we never know what the Spirit of God is going to do. I'll tell you just one last little story and then My neighbor across the street, great guy, I just love him. He is an incredible fisherman, and I like to fish. But he is like a master, genius fisherman. And I was having trouble with my little boat because some of the wiring was wrong, and I, I asked him, I said, you know, you suppose you could just point out some things that could be done to, uh, would help me out to get the wiring right. And he says, yeah, come on, let's go take a look at it. So he, he climbs up in the boat, looks for a minute, goes back to the house, gets two boxes of stuff, brings it back, says, we got to pull this off, we got to undo this, we got to pull these things out, get rid of these wires. And he's laying on his back underneath 
looking up at my wiring, cutting stuff and changing it. And the end result was the boat is in the best condition it's ever been in. He was being a neighbor to me. And it was reciprocal. Following that, one day, which is about a month and a half ago, he said, you know, I think my little boy needs to go to church. He said something and he, he said God's name. And so I wanted him to know that we respect God and, uh, and, and that we always have it in our, in our hearts and minds to respect God. He said, so I think it'd be good. I'd like to have him come to church. And I said, oh, great. You know, anytime, be super. And he says, does he have a, a Bible? He says, no, no, no Bible. And I said, well, okay. And so I went and asked Chris's son, Josh, who's nine or 10. Yeah. I said, Josh, what kind of a Bible should I get at this, this kid who's eight? So he shows me his Bible. And it's this really clever kid's Bible that is printed in Japan and it's all action figures. I mean, it's wild. I've never seen a Bible quite like this one. And so I got it and I had it, I ordered it from Amazon.com and had them mail it directly to him at his house. He went ballistic. I mean, so excited. And I, so I had asked my, asked my neighbor, I said, so how's it going with the Bible? He sits down and he reads this little Bible every night. So things, who we are and what we do, who our neighbors are, really matter. And, and it matters to them, it matters to us. So there we are, Chris. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Colton's reading his Bible, and he's gone a number of pages. And then he um, decides, you know how you, you want to kind of finish the story or look at the end? Well, he looks at the end, and he starts reading it, and they're crucifying Jesus. And he, grabs, he gets the Bible, and he just... Boom! Throws it down on the ground and tells his mom, "I'm not ever. I'm not going to read that ever again. That's it." And she, well, you know why? He says, "Because they're doing these mean, terrible things to this nice guy, and I don't understand why they're doing this to him." So anyway, we had um, Lisa and I talked to mother, and I talked a little bit, and so he's on your little soccer team. Yeah. So all right, you got it. Okay. <laughs> Spirit of God, would you come? Just come. And would you leave no stone unturned in our hearts to see what you see, to see the same way that you see. Would you put a fire burning within us that overwhelms any fear or timidity or what people might think 
what they might say. Would you just enable us, empower us, and give us your heart for the lost. Give us your heart. And Lord, you've, you've said that you would put your words in our mouths if we would only ask. That you would point out and show a way, the way, your way to others. So Jesus, um, I just feel like if, if that's all of our hearts here, just to tell him, I want to do this. I'm willing. I want to give away what I've been given. Because the more I give of you, the more I get of you. So Jesus, thank you. Oh, yeah. Living water. Well, sort of. <laughs>